tour of uh, the events in uh, Argentina, tell you some stories, show you what the Jesus is doing, and um, be encouraged, because God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for another. So you throw the map up there, uh, uh, Alex, and show you where we were. So we were up here in the frontier. That's what I call it, the frontier. Thank you so much. Uh, on the border of Bolivia, we were in this uh, uh, area called Huhui. Say it with me. Huhui. Huhui. There you go. I was like, Juju. Like, the girl lady's like, no, not Juju. No, not Juju. Huhui. Huhui. So we're up here in Huhui. Uh, we did, so what we did, we did um, six events in four cities in five days. Yeah, try that on. Six events in four cities in five days. Uh, Deborah was asking me, um, were you guys resting there? I'm like, rest? Where's no rest, man? There's like four hours of sleep a couple of times. And, uh, you know, you get used to it, but that's just the way it rolls. But God opened up the door and the opportunity. So we were in San Salvador. We were in a place called San Pedro. And then we were also in Salta up here. And so we had some events. And then we were down here in Buenos Aires. And we were working with a church that we had never worked with before. And that church was lit, man. I mean, Buenos Aires was off the chart. Um, so the, all of it was, all of it was really, really good. But um, I'll just show you a couple pictures. You can throw the first slide up here. So this is, a, this is the uh, San Pedro. So this place in um, that upper place, this is one, we went to the church first. We did ministry in the church. And then they had an event. And uh, this was the event in um, San Pedro. And it's a very small town. So you can see what's going on here. Uh, so this was really good. Uh, next slide. This is Pastor Hector. And so the reason I'm showing you this is that... Um, Usually when you travel, there's somebody on the ground that's coordinating everything for you. So when you land, you have an itinerary, you know where you're supposed to go and who's picking you up and when and all that. Sometimes that happens, ordinarily that happens. But this, this time when we were there, uh, the coordinator had completely bailed out, you know, making promises, not keeping the promises. We didn't know this until we landed. Um, and so we got there and this guy right here, Pastor Hector, heard that we were coming and he heard that basically all the events were being canceled and so he has a church and small church and him and his church stepped up and said God is sending men of God to this city we need to do something we need to do something and so this guy with his church throw go back to the last slide go back to this last slide put on this event right and all these people came a lot of them didn't know jesus had a big altar call lots of healings and stuff there but that that guy put on so next slide so if you don't think that god can do something with you one guy with a week's notice he had like like a week and a half's notice and he pitched it to his church he was and uh he was telling i was getting he was telling the story and alejandro because these are some of these are they all are his contacts one was mine but they're his contacts and so when he heard, he didn't even know that the coordinator canceled. And I could see him getting uncomfortable at the table. Like Alejandro gets mad, you know, but it's like this calm mad. You know, you're never really afraid when Alejandro gets mad. You're like, are you mad? Are you mad? And I could tell he was getting mad. They were talking back and forth at the table and I could see his face. And I know I've known him for a long time and I could see his face changing. And I was like, what, what's going on? 
and, he, and this guy, Hector, got up to pay for our lunch or whatever. And so I was talking to him. I said, what's happening? And he goes, I just found out some very disturbing news. I said, what's the disturbing news? He said, the coordinator completely canceled everything for us, and Pastor Hector is the one who took everything on. He's like, he and his church have taken this on by faith to, to promote this event and do all of this other stuff. And I was like, wow. And I, st and I started talking to him, and he was like, yeah, I'm, I, I believe in faith. And he said, and I want, to see, I want to see God do something. And he said, we cannot let this opportunity pass us by. He's like, we're a small town. He's like, you know, they don't get that all the time. You know, God is bringing you guys here. We want to do something. And so uh, then I found out that he was $350 short of the event, of paying for the event. I gave him 100 bucks. I'm like, I'm going to sew into that. This dude's up and acting in faith here. And he's like, but the blessing is coming. The blessing is coming. And I said, here's part of the blessing. Here, here it comes. And so... I just want to share that with you just to let you know that little becomes much, you know. And then one, watch what happens. Once this guy steps up and starts doing it, all of a sudden there's like four or five other churches. Hey, we want to help. We want to help too. But none of them put up any money. This guy was the guy that put up the money. Um, so anyway, uh, he and his wife, and they love Miami. They love Miami. They, like his wife, like, like she, that's all she talked about. Miami, 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 you know. That's all she talked about. And so I brought Miami souvenirs, and I was going to give them to the co I knew who the coordinator was, and I was going to give them to the coordinator. But as soon as I found that out, I'm like, there's no freaking way I'm giving him those souvenirs. <laughs> I'm not doing that, you know? And it was just, and, and so when I found out they love Miami, I gave, I, you know, I brought a hoodie, and I brought a Miami Dolphins, Miami hoodie and a Miami Dolphins hat, and I gave the hat to him, and I gave the hoodie to his wife. And his wife was like, just like over the moon. Like two days, he, the last two days he's walking around, he's got that dolphin hat on the whole time, man. He was totally flexing it. So I was very grateful to do that. There was another pastor there um, named Pastor Valencia. And uh, he, he oversees a lot of churches. He actually got behind him and got these other churches involved. But again, for me, it's the financial commitment. You know, it's where you, when the money is where your mouth is. Everybody wants to show up. You know, no one wants to, no one wants to risk. He risked. So anyway, I just want to share that with you and honor that guy. So next, next slide. He's a little guy, and when he preaches, he screams. I mean, he screams. Like, I'm not talking like, hallelujah. I mean, he's screaming the whole time, you know. And Alejandro goes, I think this church would do better if he would stop screaming like that all the time. I was like, I know. You know, but anyway, he's a wonderful guy. I won't take nothing from him. This is the altar call in San Pedro. So the picture even that I took... You know, I'm like the warm-up band, so I speak first. So I speak, and there's like, no, you know, and Alejandro, you know, whatever, and then everybody's there, you know, when Alejandro comes. And so this is the altar call in, um, in San Pedro, and all these people coming forward to receive Jesus. So this was really beautiful. Next slide. Okay, so this is what's wild, right? So this guy steps up, puts it all on the line, and he rents this facility in this town. I don't know whatever it was. It was some place. And uh, he rents it. The media finds out that he, it's a small town. And so the media finds out that he rented it. And we did two TV interviews. Hallelujah. Right? He's like, the television wants to interview us. And, and I go, me too? And, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm, yeah. and, he, and he's like, no, no, we want you to come. We want you to come. You know, I validate them. I'm the American guy. So that's, the, I guess that's the, the validation. So, the, the, so I just want to show you how the Lord gets behind faith. 
Nobody was promoting it. Nobody was doing it. Nobody put any money in. He didn't have to do anything. They contact him. We do two interviews in the park. Two of these are like local TV stations. Um, and they just, they just interviewed and started promoting the event just out of the blue, unplanned. Yeah, right? And then a radio station uh, contacted him too and had us come in for uh, a radio interview. So we, went, we had TV interview and we had a radio interview um, at that event. Um, completely unplanned. It's like Jesus is like, nobody's going to promote this thing. I'm going to promote it, you know? So <laughs> it was cool. Next slide. What do you got? Okay, so then we're, so we're up here in this northern part, the frontier, I call it. And uh, Alejandro is Alejandro. Um, the, they, uh, he, wants to do, he wants to start doing crusades and bigger events, and you know, things are changing a lot for him like in that, in that arena. So we went and spied out a couple of places to possibly um, host a crusade. And so this is, uh, this is in San Pedro. This one's in Salta. This is a great, this is a great location, but I, you know, I, I'm like, I, I tend to go bigger, but you know, I'm like, oh, man, this is great, man. This place is great. I go, is there bus lines around here? He's like, yeah, there are bus lines around here. I says, is this a good spot? The guy's like, yeah, this is a good spot. I'm like, we could do a Jesus festival here, man. Like, we, I'm talking three days. You do three days back to back, you know? And I said, you know, do the park, get food trucks out here, do healing tents, you know, healing rooms, set up healing rooms, let the people come before the crusade, let them do healing rooms, do the crusade at night, you know, do that for like three days. And they're all like, well, we were just thinking we were just going to preach the gospel. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about, preach the gospel. Anyway, that's me. And so then this is a soccer stadium in Salta. And this is the pastor we were working with in Salta named Pastor Jose. And this is his church in Salta. And this is the uh, altar call, um, the people coming forward to receive Jesus in Salta. Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. All right, so next slide. All right, so then we're in Buenos Aires, right? And we're in a church that we hadn't worked for. And we got another... Oh, this is a TV interview. So we got another TV interview, right? So I sit there and smile, nod. Like, Pastor Kevin, what do you think of Argentina? And then I lay it out there, you know? So anyway, but this, is, this was the facility that we had the event in in Buenos Aires. This facility sat 1,000, and you can see they were literally out the door. Literally, they were out the door. So this was the... I don't know if they're, they're calling for healing. If he's, we're, we're, I don't know where we're calling for healing. And we also, we got an altar call. And we also called, then after the altar call, people come to Christ. Then we call for people to come and be healed. So um, that, that's what's going on there. I just want to share that. Next slide. Oh, this is great. So Leah was my interpreter. She was here for a service uh, when we were in Salta. So last time we were in Salta, we prayed for a lot of people, had a lot of testimonies. When we were back in Salta, this couple, um, we prayed for them. Along, the, you know, I, I, I pray on the perimeter because on the stage it's hallelujah and the band is playing really loud and I can't hear myself think so I can't even minister. So I like go over somewhere where people can, you know, I can actually get something done. I can actually minister to these people. And so I prayed for this guy up along the wall in the back and um, he wanted me to pray for his wife, but his wife wanted me to pray for him. This guy had like major mental problems. Major mental problems. So I did all y'all inner healing and deliverance with this guy on the back wall, just simple things. You know, he had a lot of oppression, a lot of stuff that related to unforgiveness towards himself, a lot of abandonment, a lot of things like that, unwanted. And so I did inner healing with him. That guy went free. I saw that guy go free when we were there. I mean, he don't look like he had any many, many mental problems right there. So he looks great. His wife, I don't know, whatever stage they want to remove your breasts, she had cancer and they were going to remove her breasts 
right? And she came up to me and she told me, because I saw them, they were sitting there and the guy's waving at me. I mean, that dude, that dude would like be my bodyguard if I asked him to. I mean, he was just like, wherever I went, he's like, pastor, you know, pastor, you know? And it's just people grateful. It's so cool to see. Th this gal, her cancer's completely gone. She still has both her breasts, hallelujah. So again, like this is ministry, this is working the miracle. So when like these, these types of things weren't necessary, I'll share a couple things where I just laid hands on people and boom, there it was. This was more work, you know, like with her, like um, she had uh, breast cancer, ladies, you know, psychologically and emotionally, it's, you know, either things with your reproductive organs or usually things with your breasts, it usually relates female to female. And so it's a, a broken, toxic relationship with your mother, your grandmother, your and your own, you know, some female in your life, there's a, there's a toxic relationship. She had a horrible relationship with her mother. So I asked her, I said, what's your relationship with, your mo with her mother? And she was like, horrible. And so um, I did a bunch of forgiveness stuff with her and her mother when, when we were there. I prayed for her. I, f I, I felt like, I, I mean, it, it sounds crazy, so, but whatever, get used to it. This is Elevate. And I felt like Jesus stepped into her when I prayed for her. I literally felt like the, like the Lord come into her. And I, I knew that chick was healed. I knew it, you know. And, you know, but again, this wasn't just, this was, this was a little bit of, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that guy, he's just, he's just off the chain. You know, he's crying. He's hugging me, hugging me. He, even when I was there, he didn't want to let me go. I'm over by the wall, and he's just like sobbing, and he's hugging me. Crazy. Seven months ago. Nuts. He's like, I knew you were coming. When I saw you were coming, he's like, I came. So just, just Jesus stories, you know, beautiful stuff, really beautiful stuff. Next slide. So I'd like to show that. Is that it? I'm out of slides? Yep, I'm out of slides. Okay, so here was the report. So <laughs> I, I, I hesitate to even share. I was sitting with Alejandro and we were having lunch. And the, the, before the last night, before the last night in Buenos Aires, was it the last night? Yeah, it was right before the last night. And um, uh, we were kind of going over everything, like trying to get a count, you know, like what happened here. And there's so much going on. Uh, you know, like for me, like I'm realizing what I need and what I don't need. Um, well, I need to learn Spanish. I also need an interpreter who will photograph and video this stuff. I need that to happen. You know, he doesn't have it either. And so there's all these crazy things going on, and there's not enough record of this. These are miracles. These are living miracles of God. And in Buenos Aires, he had the, the church was filming it for, for him, not me, but for him, because I'm off to the side. But, you know, I'm like, she got healed. Boom. Any healing going on over there? But, you know, so we're like, anyways, it's, it's, it's an inside thing. So hopefully I'm not getting off track. But we were going over everything, and we were trying to count, like, how many people got saved. He's like, how many people do you think? And I thought, well, I said, there's a, probably between 1,500 and 1,800 people came forward. But, if we, but not everybody that comes forward is, like, converted. You know, they're not really coming for Jesus. So I, I like to be real and not be evangelistic and just sort of stretch it out to its extreme. So what I try to do, you know, I'm, I'm like, I like to keep it centered. So I told him, I said, even if we cut that in half, it's safe to say that probably between seven and 800 people came to the Lord in those five days. So that's amazing. That's amazing. So I'm believing that God is going to make this church a soul millionaire. And so uh, we are going to be a millionaire in souls in the name of Jesus. And so we just made a dent on that. We made a little dent towards that. Um, and then also we were counting how many deaf ears were opened. <laughs> If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And so the, the, so I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm kidding. So these are all off testimonies. These aren't just like, 
projections. These are people testifying after prayer that they, they, they either were, were hearing or they, they're testifying afterwards. And in all four cities, there's probably 30 people that were healed of deaf ears. 30. I had a little girl come up to me. She's four. So I'll tell you the story. I'll tell you the setup. I, don't, I mean, I'll probably end up praying for you because I went long second service teaching. So because I get so into these stories. So I'll probably tell you the stories and then I'll lay hands on you. So how about that? Let's go for that. You guys want that? No? Yeah? All right. So, listen, Jesus gets his glory, you know. When people get healed, the Lord deserves his glory because it's him, and he deserves the glory. So this little girl, so we have lunch. We're having lunch, and this was before the last night. So I'm asking him. I'm like, so when you, because he sees a lot of deaf ears open, like a lot, you know. And I'm like, dude, lead with that. I'd be like, deaf ears, deaf ears. I'd be saying that all the time. But you're human, so you're kind of reluctant to say that, you know. Even though you have the anointing and it seems so bold, you're still kind of going, should I do that? And, uh, but he was there and I was telling him, I, and he, his, here's the backstory. Back, anybody know who Smith Wigglesworth was? Anybody remember who know who he was? All right, some few of you. Smith Wigglesworth was a healing, healing evangelist in the early 1900s. Smith Wigglesworth was known for a lot of signs and wonders. Alejandro was in England, because Smith Wigglesworth was from England. He told me that. I know this story. And he went to Smith Wigglesworth's house. It's still in his family. Smith Wigglesworth's granddaughter lives there. And so well, however the conversation went, his granddaughter ended up praying for Alejandro. And he said, ever since then, deaf ears started opening. Right? Crazy, right? And so if you, like, so, okay, this is a spiritual thing. So in the anointing, there are spaces within the anointing. There, there are spaces within the anointing. So a lot of times, like even when you see me, I'm, I'm trying to find the place within the anointing where I'm, where I'm where, 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 what he wants to do. I'm trying to find that, you know? Not always. Sometimes he's just like, just pray, you know? And so I'm like, okay. But I'm asking him, I said, when you're praying for deaf ears, I said, what are you, what are you sensing? And he's like, oh, it's just the anointing. I'm like, dude, you're not telling me that. I do this too. So you're not gonna tell me that. You're not gonna poo-poo me off. And so he started telling me, uh, and if you come to the inner healing and deliverance class tonight, I will tell you what, what he told me. So, um, uh, but he told me where the space was. He told me, I said, what are you feeling? What are you sensing when that's going to happen? And he, and he told me, and I'm like, oh, I know where that is. I, I've been there before. And so uh, this little girl comes up. This mom brings this little girl to me, and she has, um, she's deaf in her right ear. She's four years old. He's, she's holding her. And so I pray for her. Boom. Her ears open. Oof. Maravilloso. Amen. So it was her, her ear open, so she starts crying. You know, she's, when I take my hands off her, she looks at me and she starts going, ah, starts crying, right? And I start snapping my fingers by her ears, and the little girl starts going like that. And I asked the mom, I said, is she hearing? And she said, she's hearing, she's hearing, she's hearing. So that was beautiful. A um, lot of crazy witchcraft down there. Crazy. I thought Miami was bad. Oh, my gosh. And the worst, the collateral damage of witchcraft is always with the children. Always. These kids are ravaged, man. Like, like I never saw so much. Like, there was, there was like when I started, when, as soon as that girl's ear opened, all the parents lined up with the kids right in front of me. It was like, they were all lined up right in front of me. And I had like 40 kids deep. And they're all like, just like in these just, I mean, extreme, like, conditions uh 
one boy had a demon, devil, manifesting a devil. The pastor comes and grabs me. They're like, oh, you do deliverance? Hey, come on, you know? And I'm like, uh, hey, hold on here. This isn't like the place for that. But they brought me over to this boy who's manifesting a devil. The mom's literally holding him. The kid is screaming and flailing. I lay hands on him. I calm everything down. And I'm like, and I'm like as soon as I get that boy calmed down, I get the devil to shut up. I'm looking at the interpreter. I only had an interpreter one night. So I just would like to put that out there. I only had an interpreter for one night, you know? And that's all I had. The rest of the time I'm praying in tongues. And I said to my Turundo you know, I'm just laying hands on him and like just declaring in tongues. That's all I got. That's all I got. You know, I'm like, I don't know what to say, Lord. He's like, pray in tongues. I'm like, okay. You know, so, but they bring this boy to me. And so to calm down and ask the interpreter, I said, you know, is there witchcraft in her family? And she's like, yeah, it's my mother, my grandmother. And when he was a little boy, I took him to the, I took him to the witch doctor, whatever they call it, but she called witch doctor. And so I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking at him and I'm like, I'm telling the interpreter, I said, this, she's given him to the devil, so this, this spirit isn't going to leave with a wave of my hand. You know, there's legal authority here that has to be, and, and here a kid's like nine years old, so I'd probably have to do deliverance with him through the mother. I'd have to do it by proxy, and it's just too much work. So I was like, there's no way I can do this now. And so um, while I'm talking to the interpreter, the boy gets down and like starts trying to spider crawl away from me. It was super freaky. It was super weird. But, you know, they, they invite this stuff into their lives, and this is the collateral damage. This is the result of that. And they think, oh, just in the name of Jesus. I'm like, it doesn't work like just in the name of Jesus. I can force authority, but if I force authority, that devil has legal rights, he's coming back. I can throw him out on a street, but if he's got a key to your front door, he's going to open the door and come right back in. It's guaranteed. Guaranteed. So all of that was going on, but we did do some group deliverance and when we were in uh, San Pedro. It's like the pastors are like begging for deliverance. They're like begging, begging. And Alejandro would be like pointing at me. I'm like, really, man? And so they put me in a room like a sweat box. It was like this black house. And they put me within there with a bunch of people who've been doing witchcraft. One chick had like, you know those fur coats in Game of Thrones? You guys, anybody watch Game of Thrones? And those, those guys that would wear those big black robes? She had one of those, like a big black thing. Her eyes were painted black. She has black hair and she's got a collar on. And I'm in there with a bunch of other people that have, that are practicing witches or some version of that. And so they're all kind of tweaking, looking at me. And it's just me in a room with a little 13 year old. They gave me an interpreter, a little 13. I mean, I wasn't afraid, but it was just, you know, it was just like that. So I had a woman healed of facial paralysis. It's the second time that's happened. Yeah, come on. Yes. Yes. This one, I just laid hands on her. So we had a healing line. We had a prayer line. We did a bunch of different things like that. Then we had a healing line. And um, so she's, on the, she's in front of me, and her, her face is up here, and her lip is down here. And she's crying, and she just keeps pointing at her face. That's what she was doing. So I just oil up, put my hands on her. And start praying in tongues, and I just released power, and then I moved on, right? I, you know, I'm like, well, that's about, that's about all I got here. And so I moved on. And then when they did the testimony line, they're going down the line, and they're interviewing everybody, like, what, what happened for you? And people were telling, oh, I can see now. I had glasses, and, you know, my ears open. I can hear, you know, I, you know just all that, that stuff. And they went to this woman, and, and the pastor goes, and, and what did Jesus do for you? And I was standing here, and I looked over, and I was like, and her whole face, and she's crying, and she was showing her, and, but her lip was still, so I'm, I'm honest. I wouldn't say, her whole face was miraculously healed. I'd say 90%. Her, her lip was still drooping, but all of the, um, the paralysis in her face was gone. Yeah, gone. Just gone. 
right? I had a woman healed of a stroke in Czech Republic. I showed you that. She was healed of a stroke, facial paralysis, moving her arm, completely healed of a stroke. So that's the second time I saw that. Had a boy when we were in San Pedro in the north. This boy couldn't move his neck. You know, he's like this little boy, probably like 10 years old, maybe, yeah, right around there. Couldn't move his neck. His mother's there. And she says that her, um, her uncle um, beat him, his uncle beat him as a child. And so his neck was damaged and he couldn't move his neck. And so I prayed for him. Again, very broken interpretation at best. Prayed for him and the boy's like swiveling his neck. The mom's like looking at me like this, like with eyeballs, like completely frozen. And I told her, I said, this is who Jesus is. You know, I said, he takes an act of hate and he touches it and he turns it into an act of love. I mean, this is who the Lord is. It's always about that. It's always about love. It's always about, you know, God's goodness. God sees you. God knows you. God cares about you. So that was really, really powerful. And um, that one is one of my favorite. So here we go. So I had a boy with a speech impediment. Uh, this was in San Pedro, too, at the first thing I showed you. And boy couldn't talk. He could only, put, he could only say two or three words, like mama, mama, or and Miguel, Miguel, mama, Miguel, mama, Miguel. He could only talk like that. He couldn't put a sentence together. I'm like, well, we're going to see what God wants to do with that. And he was putting full sentences together. Yeah, and come on, right? Oh, it's going to get better, right? Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Like if I told you, it's like no one, you know, that's what I told Alejandro. I said, you say what we saw and what we experienced in five days, and people won't believe you. They won't believe you. They won't believe you. You know, we said a lot. Yeah, I know. A lot of the stuff we'd seen before, but what really was geeking us out was the number of ears that were being healed. We, I've seen that before. I've never prayed for someone and had deaf ears healed, but that was my first. So that was amazing for me. He prayed for a mute and the mute began to speak. I prayed for a boy with speech impediment and he began to put sentences together. He prayed for someone who was completely mute and they could speak. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a woman in a room who was deaf and she was mute and she was healed in the room. She came up and testified and she had like a uh, like a nurse or like a caregiver, and she was healed. So that chick got healed in the room, the other one, and we were sitting there talking at lunch. I didn't even know. I'm over here. I didn't even know. And, um, and, he, and he was just saying, man, I've just seen things I've never seen before. And, um, uh, and I said, well, and he said, he said, when that woman started speaking that couldn't speak, he's like, I've never seen that before. And that's a first for him. Like, ears started about a year and a half ago, and so he's been multiplying ears, and he said, now it's almost like popcorn. He says, it's like popcorn. Because what happens, so like, what happens when you enter, we don't, when we occupy spaces in the spirit, we don't occupy them as visitors. We are owners and we are possessors of that. So when you break through, that space belongs to you. You can come back to that. It's like when God gives you a financial deliverance. And you, has anybody ever had that one happen? God broke you through? No, a couple of you, I know this is a very common one. That space belongs to you. And so we manifest again by going back to the place when God did that. that. That moment, that time, that space, that whatever, that experience that you had, that's a place in the spirit that belongs to you, and you can manifest from that place again. I don't know if I'm making sense to you all, but that's, that's the, the spiritual stuff I'm talking about here. So this is, this is bringing, this is manifestation stuff, bringing what is in the, in the spirit into the natural, on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Right? Manifest on earth as it is in heaven. So that, that, type, of thing, that type of thing was going on. And so um, the, the, the mute, so and I told Alejandro, last time I was there, a woman uh, that was 85% blind was healed. 
I told him, I said, in the last two trips here, we've seen the blind eyes open, we've seen the deaf ears open, and mutes are starting to talk. <laughs> I said, all we need is a resurrection, and Jesus can come. That's all we need, you know. But the same God, it's just, it's there. You say, well, what's the difference? It, look, we see these kind of miracles, and we see a lot of miracles here. I see a lot of miracles here. I could, you know, go down the list. The, the, the injuries, you know what's crazy is that when the injuries don't excite you anymore, you're looking for the deaf ears. You know what I'm saying? You're not looking for the deformed arm. Where's the deaf people at? You know, that's like a different place. You're at a different place now. But what I notice that's there is they just flip and believe, man. And I, and, 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 and it seems like, it seems like, it's like, well, they're, they know, no, 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 they're just, there's something about it. And whether it's been the, the type of Catholic, because the place has been Catholic or whatever, but it's very spiritual. They all go for the witchcraft. They go to the witch doctors, you know, all this stuff. There's something about, they believe in the supernatural. And so they just come and they're ready. You know what I mean? Like they're just, they're, they're just ready. They're receptive. And when you pray for them and like, you know, I had people every time I prayed for them, they'd hug me and move on, like, thank you. And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't know if anything happened because I didn't have an interpreter. So nonetheless, keep saying that. But, but what I notice, like in the States, we're calculating a lot. You know, we're, 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 we, we have like, a, like almost like an intellectual barrier that we've got to kind of dismantle or get past. And it's not that the anointing won't flow, the anointing does flow. The anointing always flows. The anointing flows here. Well, what I noticed was that that, that barrier wasn't there, it's, and so the, 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 the power could flow way easier, right? So the, that was, that's what I, I kind of noticed. But there's no issues with deaf ears here. There's no issues with any of this stuff. It's not because Argentina is some sacred land and God's doing something there. It's, it's because God is moving there because there's some openness and receptivity to those people. They don't have anything. You know, they don't have anything. Once you get outside the city core, you're dealing with a bunch of people who have nothing. And so when you have nothing and Jesus is offering you everything, it becomes a very open opportunity. And I think that's another thing is that people are hungry. They don't have doctors, you know. And people like, like last time we were there, they were, people were bringing clothes and laying hands on me. When I was praying for the line, I had people throwing like basketball shorts at me. You know, I was like, what? Well, basketball shorts. And they're like, mijo, mijo. You know, my son, my son, pray for my son, you know. I'm walking and people are shoving paper in my hand, like sticking paper in my hand, you know, written to pray for someone. I'm walking out the door because we got to go, you know. It's like, got to go, you know. Pastor's saying we got to go, so we got to go. Walking out the door, this woman, uh, the, the, the guy, the, whoever they sent to fetch me, grabs me by the hand to pull me through the crowd, right? And the woman is behind me and she grabs me by my shirt and she's pulling me like this. And she didn't know any English. She knew this much in English. My son has cancer. That's what she said. But I'm like, you know, got to go. You know, they're telling me to leave. So all that being said, it's just, it's just like there's a, there's a desire that's there and there's a hunger that's there. And I'm not saying I don't find that hunger in this church because I do. I believe this church has that hunger. I'm saying, and that's why we see what we see, because the anointing always moves. But there's, there's intellectual barriers sometimes that happen that prevent that level you know, and it was just, it was a, a lot of stuff, a lot of demonic stuff. Um, in Salta, the, the guy there was dirt outside the, the arena, and they poured, uh, he said that the witch doctors poured dirt from the cemetery outside the arena. <laughs> I'm like, wrong, not going to happen. Um, so another funny story, another great story, and this is, again, this is the love of God is uh, we were in San Pedro, we had to drive to Salta. So the pastor in Salta sent someone to pick us up 
and it was a woman with her son. She picks us up, we're driving down the road, um, and she's driving like, like crazy, right? So we're just like, she's like, she's like, dude, she got music, she's just jamming worship. I mean, it's crank. She's like, dun, 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 Espiritu Santo, you know? And, I'm, and we're like in the back seat, you know, like jumping around in the back. She's just, Espiritu Santo, you know? And then as the, con- it was a two hour ride, and as the conversation, when she calmed down and we finally got on a highway, um, she starts saying about, she starts talking about all this destruction in her family, you know, and telling us all these different stories. And I'm just like, where's the witchcraft? And I'm like, you know, destruction with all of her children, the suppression. She says, I love the Lord. She's like, but I don't, can't find myself in church. I always feel like I'm pushed out of church, like I don't belong. I said, you hear voices, don't you? She's like, I do. And I was telling her, I said, this is what the voices are saying to you, aren't they? They're telling you you're not worthy. They're telling you you're not accepted. They're telling God doesn't love you. God loves her. God doesn't love you. You don't, you know, you're some voice of condemnation and rejection. She's crying in the front seat. And she tells me her, uh, her whole, all of the line of women on her mother's side were brujeria. They were witches. She has like a, um, I don't know, all this symbolism on her arm. She said it's like a, this is all witchcraft, like what's, what's on her arm. So I'm driving down the road. I'm like, okay. So I'll, I'll put the humanness in this. I'm tired. So that you guys don't know, understand that it's not like this cell isn't superhuman. It's like I'm tired. I'm four hours of sleep. I'm driving in a car. I'm bouncing around. I'm hitting my head on the ceiling, all this stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, I don't want to go there. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to go there. And the Lord's like, I want you to go there. I'm like, I don't want to go there. And he's like, I want you to go there. I'm like, I don't want to go there. So I sat down with a paper and a pen. I'm driving in a car. And I said, look, I'm going to help you. I said, I'm going to help you. And I said, but you need to be honest with me. If you're not honest with me, I cannot help you. And so I started asking her a bunch of stuff, and I wrote, I wrote, a, wrote down just a renouncing prayer for her. And I said, look, this isn't going to do everything for you, but this is going to do something for you. And so I'm telling Alejandro, who's interpreting, and he's like, Pastor Kevin, what if she starts manifesting while we're driving down the road? <laughs> I said, she's not going to manifest. It's not going to happen. And because um, it's not going to happen. And so, uh, uh, so I did the renouncing. And I said, or we can wait, and you can work with me in a hotel lobby for 30 minutes. He's like, no, let's do it now. So then we, you know, um, we, I did the renouncing prayer. We got to Salta. She comes out of the car. I said, how do you feel? She's like, I feel light. It's like, I feel really light. And she said, when, you started, when we started praying, she said, I felt like something was attached to the back of my head. And she said, as we started renouncing, she said, I felt like it left. You know? So, yeah, cool stuff, man. Cool stuff. You'll see a testimony from that. She's not, now, am I going to say she's full, totally delivered? No. No. I mean, she's got tattoos. You know, she's got, I don't even know what, tarot. She's got all kinds of things. She's got a bunch of stuff that's there, you know. But I knew that God could give her, give her freedom. And here's the deal. She's like, I said, she was telling me like how she doesn't feel like God loves you. I said, you don't feel like God loves you? I said, you don't think God sees you? I said, you are the woman who picked us up. I said, anybody could have picked us up. I said, but you picked us up. And I said, and the Lord knew that we're going to be two prophets in the back of your car. And one of them was going to understand deliverance. And I said, now what are the odds of that? And I told her that. I said, he knows what you're struggling with. He knows what's, he knows what's, he knows what's hunting you and consuming you. He knows that. And I said, and he makes this divine appointment for you, and he, and he creates this moment in time just for you. And I said, don't tell me God doesn't see you. Don't tell me God, and she starts crying. She, you, know, and, you know, the thing is, is like, this is the deal with deliverance, right? So you, you tell him, and I'm like, look, if you come to the event tonight, I'll have an interpreter. I'll give you 30 more minutes. 
but you need to come to the event tonight, and I'll work with you for 30 more minutes with an interpreter. And you know what? She didn't come. She didn't come. You know, deliverance is for the desperate. I say that all the time. You know, not, you don't just want it. You have to be desperate for it to do whatever it takes. And I told her, I said, come tonight. Now, that's another story. I probably could get into why she didn't come, you know. And a lot of times when you have spirits and you're dealing with someone and they start dealing with someone and the devil knows, okay, this guy knows what he's doing, you know. So we need to get as far away from him. They don't mind hanging out with people who don't know what they're doing. They'll be like, yeah, we're back. Hey, what's up? Yeah. But when you know what you're doing, they just, they, they, they don't want to be around it because they know they can, they, the devil can be systematically dismantled. He, it's systematic. He builds a system against you, and he can be systematically bit dismantled. But you have to systematically dismantle him. And so, you know, and they, and they can tell when you're systematically dismantling them. They know. They're like, okay, all right. Did that guy just walk out the door with my door frame? Did he just take the door off our house? You know, <laughs> I'm taking the windows out. We're going to take these windows out next. Here we go. Take these out. <laughs> roof's gone. Get that roof off here. And then we start collapsing walls. <laughs> you're out so it, it can happen but you know I, I just share it with you it's really uh, just exciting stuff you know Jesus is doing good things and I want to share that with you I have an opportunity um, not this week next week to speak at a three-day crusade in Cartagena Cartagena Colombia and so I'm most likely going I don't want to go but I feel like I'm told to go and I'm like I don't want to go and he's like you're going I'm like I don't want to go and he's like you're going so I'm going so um, uh, if you want to give to that, would really appreciate it. Need about 1200 bucks for the trip, round trip. It's not, there's 10 churches involved in this crusade. The crusade's going to be held in the city center, and um, there'll be thousands there, thousands. This, we had a couple thousand with two or three churches. There's 10 involved here, and I, you know, for sure, I think this is going to be pretty big. So if you want to be part of a soul harvest, because I know we're going to see people saved, and you want to be part of healing, you know, and you want to give to that and support it, um, you can give in the box. Just write Columbia on the, on the thing. It's just an opportunity for you. There's no, you know, there's no need. But if you want to be involved in that, you know, step into it and um, let God lead you. Amen. I just want to share with you just a, briefly, and then I want to pray for you. Um, I just believe our church is coming into another season. And um, say this with me. Movements are felt before they're seen. A lot of times when God's doing something in your life, you feel it long before you see it. You feel it. You can't see it, but you feel it, right? And, you know, that relates to you in your life. That also relates to us as a church. There are things that are going on that I can feel, um, but I don't see, but that's okay. And so I believe that this church is operating more um, uh, just like in authoritative dimensions. And, um, and that being said, I just think that for us, the, 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 the message to all of us, because whatever we do, whatever success I have, this church has. Whatever success the team that goes has, this church has, right? Because this is a family, we're connected. It's not no big eyes, no little U's, um, but that, that's, that's the way it is. And um, the way that apostolic movements move forward is with unity. Unity. There has to be unity. If there's no unity, the movement cannot happen. And we see that over and over again in the scripture. So I believe that what, what, what is an apostolic movement? It's when you're sent forth to build something. And, you know, this church is being sent forth to build things, right? And there's already, um, you know, in the little bit of 
time, there's a, a tremendous amount of opportunity for influence. And so, um, and here's another word for you, just so you can understand this. You don't always feel ready for the moment. So some of you are waiting to feel ready for the moment, and there, there is no ready for the moment. I don't feel ready for the moment. I don't feel ready for what God is doing. I feel like I should be more organized for this. And he's like, you're not. So, you know, that's not, that's not the relative side of what he's doing. And so a lot of times what God is doing is he's teaching you something in the process. Say this, movement always precedes structure. Movements are felt before they're seen. So I told you I wasn't going to teach, but I end up I am. Movements are felt before they're seen. And movement always comes before structure. And what happens with people is they'll feel the movement, but they won't go with it because they don't see it. They don't see where it's going. Or they'll, um, uh, they'll want to structure it so heavy, and they won't do anything until the structure's in place. If the structure's not there, I'm not moving. Well, that doesn't work. You can see that in the book of Acts. The structure came on the back end of the movement. You know, they had thousands of people coming to Christ. They didn't know who, who was getting fed and when and why, and everything was chaos, lots of chaos. And then they put the structure behind the movement. Paul did the same thing when he planted churches. He just threw it out there. And as it grew and developed, look at, look at 1 Corinthians. There was no structure in that church. <laughs> Both books are, are written to create the structure because the church was alive and moving, but it was, was lacking structure. And so if you want, God does not necessarily need structure in order to create a movement. And you should not have to see it in order to believe it. So some of you, you have this intuitiveness. You can feel that God is doing something. You know that you're supposed to do this. You know you're supposed, whatever it is, you, there's an intuitiveness there, but you're waiting because you're like, I don't see where this is going. Until I can see where this is going, I'm not going to do it. Well, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pass you by. And you're going to have to wait for the next one. There'll be a next one, but I don't know how much time there'll be in between, that, between those. And then the other thing is, is that you feel movement and you see God leading you in a direction, but you're like, I'm not organized for this. I don't have the structure for this. I don't have the resources that, that, that I need, right? And God told Gideon, go with what you have. Yeah. Go in the strength you have. Go, what do you got? He's like, I ain't got much. Well, go with what you got. What do you got, Moses? I got a stick. Okay, that'll work. What do you guys got? We got fish and chips, Jesus. Okay, bring me that to me. Go with what you have, you know? So just to encourage you with that. And, but unity is, unity is definitely something that's necessary um, for God to do anything. When God was bringing Israel out of Egypt, he, needed an, he was creating an apostolic movement. He was sending them forth to build something. Moses was an apostolic leader. He's the guy leading them. And Jesus is like, hey, oh, by the way, bring these people with you. <laughs> I'm laughing. So because the Bible says they were a mixed multitude. Some of them wanted to go. Some of them didn't want to go. <laughs> You know, they were complainers. And complaining, complaining is contagious. You ever notice that? Right? Positivity has to be forcefully inserted. Complaining just comes to us all. We all start complaining. You're like, yeah, you're right. It is too cold in here. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, we just are naturally inclined to be complainers. And so he brings these people out of Egypt, and they're all naturally complainers. They're all complaining. And so that group couldn't come where God wanted to bring them because I'm not talking about anything here. I'm just simply giving you points that, that, that prevent movement. We want movement. And so if we want movement, we have to look at the things that, um, that create movement, you know, that, 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 you know not, the, not the need for structure, not having everything perfect, not being able to know where it's going, just doing it. That's, that's movement, right? Following that. And then we have to also look at the things that deny movement. Disunity denies movement. 
doesn't matter where it is. Disunity is, is, nothing is withheld to us if we're unified. And it doesn't mean we agree on everything. You like red, I like blue, you like green, she likes yellow, who knows? You know, you don't agree on everything. You agree on the fundamentals, right? The cores of what, what has to happen. It's the same thing in a marriage. The core things have to, you know, there's got to be an agreement on the core things. There are things that are core to, and necessary to the marriage, and not everything needs to be agreed on. You don't have to agree on every single thing, right? So um, I, I say that just so to understand that. Then when Moses was bringing the people out of Egypt, there were things that were disruptive. And what happens a lot of times is that we're in the body of Christ, and sometimes we don't like the part of the body that we belong to, right? I'm sick of being a pinky. I want to be a thumb, you know? And it's like, well, the Bible says that God can promote you and change you, but you have to follow the process of humility in order for him to change you. So what happened with Moses, Miriam and Aaron uh, didn't like the position they were in. Moses is the leader, and God had appointed his brother and his sister to support him, and they didn't want to support him. Part of it was the fiasco at the Red Sea. A lot of people had lost confidence in Moses as a leader because he led them to a dead end. And they saw it as Moses as being incompetent. And they saw it as God always having to show up and bail them out. That's how they saw it. But it was completely the opposite. It was the Lord leading them intentionally to an impossible situation in order to show his glory. Had nothing to do with Moses' incompetence, right? He leads him into a, into a place where there's no water. You'd be like, dude, this is like the third time? Really? You know, like that's where he led them. He led them into a place where there was no provision. He led them to a place that there was a dead stop, and it seemed like we're not going anywhere. Does this guy know what he's doing? And he was listening to the Lord, and God brought them to the Red Sea in order to part it. God brought them to the place in the wilderness with the rock in order to provide miracle water for them. God brought them into the desert where there was no provision in order to show manna because he's not trying to show off Moses' grand leadership skills. That wasn't what God was trying to show them. Look, Moses is an amazing leader. He's an executive CEO. He looks like Brad Pitt. Right? He's as smart as, you know, I don't even know. Pick somebody. You know, he, wow, Moses is so amazing. God wasn't trying to show off Moses. He was trying to show his glory. He was trying to re reveal himself to the people. And, and so there was a process that was going on in there. But Moses had a lot of problems because Moses seemed to be dysfunctional in the people's eyes. <laughs> this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He tells us we're going to get water. He leads us into a desert. What are you talking about? He tells us we're going into a promised land. He leads us right up to a Red Sea. What's this guy doing, man? He doesn't know what he's doing. This guy's, this guy's confused. We need new leadership around here. And that's what he ends up dealing with. And his, his brother and sister were the first. They come to him. And they had already had grumblings about his leadership. But he married an Ethiopian woman. Moses apparently was not a great husband and father. <laughs> his first wife left him. Jethro gave him one of his daughters. He was serving Jethro in Midian. And so Jethro gave him one of his daughters. That was his first wife. She was a Midianite. And so he was married to a Midianite. He had sons with her. He wasn't the best father. Apparently didn't like to watch Netflix with her and hold her hand. Apparently that was part of the problem. You know, there was something going on there. And so she left him. And so now Moses is alone. She went back to her father, went back to Midian. She's like, I want nothing to do with you. She left him. So Moses marries an Ethiopian woman. He marries a black woman. <gasps> Moses had a black wife. Let me look right in the camera. Moses had a black wife. Moses' wife had a white husband. So let's put it either way you want to say it, right? She married a white guy. He married a black girl. And so Miriam, she was Ethiopian. She was a Cushite, which is, the, which is Ethiopia, the northern land of Cush. And so he marries her. And Miriam and Aaron are confronting Moses 
and they're confronting him on a variety of subjects, but it seemed to center on the fact that he married um, this woman. And so he's like, you know, who are you, Moses? You know, they, this, here's what they said. We prophesy to. God uses me. We prophesy to. What gives you the right to be the leader here? So they said to him. But the Bible says that the contention was over his wife. So they're trying to get rid of his leadership. And so the, Moses is like, look, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm good. You all want to run this show? Go right ahead. And the Lord showed up. And apparently Miriam was the driving force because the, and Aaron was involved. But he confronts Miriam and he tells Miriam, he says, you want to talk about prophesying, Miriam? All of the prophets I speak to in dreams and revelations. That's how I speak to my prophets. But with Moses, I talk to him face to face. And if I speak to him face to face and I've put him in this position, why was it so easy for you to speak against the one that I've appointed? <laughs> and you know what happened? She turned leprous. She turned white. I saw this in first service. I was like, she's all upset about whiteness. The Lord's like, you want whiteness? Here, have some whiteness. She turned leprously white. And she was put outside the camp for seven days. And Moses began to pray. She had spoken against this. It was, she wasn't spoken against Moses. Ultimately, she was speaking against the Lord. That's what she was doing. Not understanding that she had been given a position of honor. The Lord says this to her. Moses says, please heal her, Lord. He says, I will in seven days. He said, but if her father had but spit in her face, she would be unclean seven days. So send her out of the camp. This, this thing of spitting in, your, spitting in your face by your father was, is, is related to not being willing, not willing, a unwillingness to build up your brother's house. And so she was appointed to Moses to help build him up, as was Aaron. She was appointed in a role to help build the work, help build the job, help support Moses, and she wasn't supporting him. She was usurping him or working against him. She was exploiting his weaknesses rather than strengthening his weaknesses, and that's what disqualified her from that position. And so that was, that was a disunity. This type of stuff happens. Right? So it's important to understand that, that whatever role God has us in, we need to honor that role. I've been in a lot of subordinate roles, a lot. I'm in a subordinate role when I go down, when I go down to South America. I'm, I'm subordinating myself. You know, Alejandro's asking me, what do you want me to do? I said, look, dude, I'm here to serve you. And do you know why? Because I know what promotion looks like. And the Bible says, if you cannot be faithful with that which is not your own, the Lord will never entrust to you that which is your own. If you will not be faithful in serving another, then I will never entrust you with anything that's yours. And I know Jesus is setting me up for the nations. I know that. And not just me. When I say me, I speak of us collectively. Anything I talk about from a ministry perspective always has to do with this church. It's never me, right? But I know God is setting me up, setting us up. And I know so he's looking at me. Kevin, who's older than Alejandro, he's got a lot of ministry experience, completely capable. You know, is he going to go there and boast? Is he going to go there and eat? I mean, it's not even in me to do it. I'm just like, man, I'm here, bro. What do you mean to do? What do you want me to do? You know, so I understand subordination. And I understand the tinge of ego that comes against us sometimes when we feel like we have to subordinate to something that's less than us. And so, we, you know, by subordinating to something that's less than us, it actually shows heaven that you're capable of carrying something. Because if you get an ego and a pride, and, and more is put on you, your ego and pride, whatever God puts on you is going to amplify. So if you got ego and pride and he puts it on you, your ego and pride is going to amplify. You know, that, that's, that's the game. So it, it's just important for us to understand that just because you're in this position, whatever that servitude is, it doesn't matter what position you're in, value that position and use it to the maximum. 
If, if it's like, you know, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know what I'm saying? It's like, dude, I'm just, I'm just happy to be in a room. That was those guys. They're like, I'm just happy to be here. I'm standing at the door and I'm happy and I'm happy. And that's what promotes us. When God sees that attitude in that heart, that's what he sees. Whether it's in a job, whether it's in a marriage, or whether it's in ministry or the church itself, right? This is how he promotes us. He looks for that servitude. People are looking for promotions at work, but they won't serve. They won't give their best in the place that they're at. God's not gonna promote you. Your boss may promote you, the company may promote you, but I don't want those promotions because if they give it to me, they can take it away. What the Lord gives, the blessings of the Lord are sure, he adds no sorrow to. What the Lord gives me will not have sorrow attached to it. <laughs> like, I'm gonna take it away from me. I'm like, you can't do that because you didn't give it to me. Which, when God promotes you, he gives it to you. When you get a promotion from Jesus, it's not going anywhere. Doesn't matter. Even if the company fires you, you'll get hired laterally in another company because you were promoted to that level. So it doesn't matter what happens to you. You'll stay, you'll, he will keep you and keep moving you forward. This is important to understand this, and it works especially with apostolic movements. One of the things the devil tries to do is break unity. Now, I'm not talking that there is broken unity here, because there isn't. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm simply giving us a perspective because I feel like God is moving us in a direction, and I'm like, whoa, and I can feel it. You know, I feel the space. I feel the unfamiliarity within the atmosphere, like in the spirit, you know, I can feel it. And I can feel it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm looking for it, but it's just dimensions. It's abilities and power and authority and things of that nature. And so the other one was uh, Numbers chapter 16. Same thing happened. Uh, Moses is making mistakes all the way along. So he has his family turn against him. Here he has his friend Korah in the Bible was actually Moses' friends. If you look back, Earlier in the chapter, Korah and Moses were dialoguing together. They actually got along. But in number 16, Korah's kind of like, this dude's incompetent. And so Korah creates an entourage <laughs> of people to come up to Moses and confront him. And they're like going, uh, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them. The Lord is with us all. Why then do you raise yourself up above the Lord's assembly? In other words, who are you, dude, to lead anybody? We're all special here. What are you doing? And so Moses falls on his face, which is interesting. That's Moses' key was humility. He submitted to whatever, you know, he's like, well, you know what? Maybe you're right, dude. I'm, I'm dysfunctional. You know, you got PhDs. You're probably more competent to run these people than I am. I'm all good. I can hand in my resignation right now. And the Lord hears it, and the Lord's like, what? What, what, what are we talking about here? What's going on here? Well, Cora wants my job. You know, so I don't know what to do. He's like, Cora, what's your job? He's like, call an assembly, call a meeting. Next morning, here comes Moses, here comes Cora, tells the people, everybody with Cora go over there. Everybody with Moses go over there. And you all know the story? Anybody know that story? Yes. The ground opens up, down goes Cora, clown closes up. Jesus is like, any questions? Wow. Any more questions here? Because it's not about the talent of the leader. You know, when God, it's the same thing with Saul. This is why David didn't remove Saul. What I'm trying to show you is positional leadership within the kingdom. It's, Saul was completely dysfunctional. Saul was disqualified, but it wasn't David's job to take him out. <laughs> the Lord had appointed him, and the Lord actually honored God for not, honored David for not touching, touching the one that God had appointed. So a lot of times, like, what happens is it's like, like the church is unlike anything else in its governmental structure. It doesn't mean that the leaders are wrong. The leaders can be completely wrong, right? But, it, it, but what it means is, is that God is the one who does the correction. 
This is why we pray for our leaders and we ask God to, do, to, do, to, to direct them and to lead them and to correct them or remove them, which he doesn't have a problem removing them. And it's very clear. If you're looking at the Christian landscape right now, it's very clear Jesus doesn't have a problem removing people. I don't care how prominent they are. He has no problem removing them. No problem. He moves them right off the stage and says, next. Yeah. Some of you that are following some of the stories that have been going around for the last few years, it's not, about, it's not about rock stars. It's not about, you know, it's like they reach a point and the Lord's like, look, dude, I tried to get you to turn this thing around. You don't want to, so we're just going to slide you over here. And he diminishes their influence. Says he removes their lampstand revelation. Doesn't mean they exist, stop existing to be a church. It means their light and their influence is gone. They may influence people, but they're not influencing heaven. And there's a huge difference. <laughs> you get me? So a lot of you, God has things for your life. It may, it may be ministry things. It may be workplace things. I don't know what it is. It may be something. What disqualifies? You have to always don't disqualify yourself. I've been put in very testing situations. The way God qualifies you is he puts you in a testing situation. Like you, if you look at um, uh, even Moses or Noah, very compromised position, weak, exposed, two sons covered him, one son mocked him. Which one was disqualified? The one that mocked him. Did Moses deserve it? Yeah, the dude's drunk, man. He's naked. Woo! <laughs> I'm so glad to be off that ark, man. Yeah, he's naked, stretched out on the, on the thing, you know? You, know you, you guys know the story? You familiar with that story? Yeah, in Genesis? And two of his sons covered it. They, didn't, they, they, they strengthened his weakness. They didn't exploit it. And one exploited it. And God doesn't, he just, you know, it's like, it's, it's like you would want someone to do that for you, right? So whether you're in a leadership position, you got to realize that you're never going to have it all figured out. It's going to be dysfunctional. God's appointed you there. If God opens that up to you, even if someone appoints you, even if you take a leadership position on here, the, the appointment is coming through an anointed leader. Therefore, God, God recognizes it. So do your best and serve, right? Serve out of that. It doesn't matter if you're weak, do it. And if you're in a position where you have, to, you have to serve other people, then serve them with honor because that's what God sees. That's what he sees and wants to promote you with. You, you get what I'm saying? And I'm telling you right now, the stuff I'm doing with, you know, I don't even understand why I'm, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I feel like the Lord's like, yes, you do, Kevin. You're smarter than that. And I'm like, all right. And I feel like I understand what he's doing. He's like, I go, what do you want me to do here, Lord? And he's like, serve him. And I'm like, okay, I'll serve him. And I'm kind of like, why am I serving him? Because he's like, I'm about to give you your own. I'm about to give it to you. I'm about to hand it to you. But I need to show, I need to show uh, vetting. I need to show disclosure that, you know, it's always a witness before heaven and earth, right? I need to have a witness in your life before heaven and earth that you're willing to serve in this arena and that you're not pursuing something that's your own. You're willing to serve. Yeah? That's how, that's how it is. And so when God promotes you, it's justified. Your ways are altogether righteous, the angels declare, you know? So that, that's, that's what's going on. So just, just, it's a conscious awareness. It's a maturity thing, you know? It's a growing up thing. It's a leadership thing, realistically. So I just wanted to throw that out there uh, to you. Um, he wants to move your life forward. He wants to move your life into transformation. We have a process of development here, and this is the second thing I want to challenge some of you with, is just to start taking next steps. So what we have here at Elevate, we have like a, a process. Uh, it's not a perfect process, but we have a process. So the goal is to reach the community, to, get the commu to make the community a part of the congregation, to take the congregation, or, or part of the, um, so what we got? Community, uh, what is it? Yeah, I don't even know, what am I doing? What am I saying? 
The com- okay, so we have the community. We want the community to be a part of the crowd. The crowd are just people that kind of come, they go, you're here at Elevate, I'm over here, I'm over there, I'm back here, I'm nowhere. You know, they're just kind of moving around from place to place. Oh, I've got four churches. You know, they're just kind of drifting. That's the crowd. But we want to reach the community, draw them into the crowd, make them, make them, give them to Christ. Whatever happens with them there, that's where they're at. They become the crowd. But we want to take the crowd and turn them into the congregation. So that's the next step. You become a member of Elevate. That's the next step. You move past the crowd, become members, come into membership. Then, the, then from membership, you say, this is my church. I'm committed and connected here. This is what I want to be a part of. This is where I want to serve. This is where I want to go. This is the direction I, I want to go in. Then you go from the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the congregation to the core. The core is the leadership development process. And so I'm just, I want to invite you, wherever you are in that spectrum, to take another step. Whatever your step is, I want you to take a next step. So some of you, you're just, you know, you're just crowd, you know? You just kind of come and go. You got four churches. You don't belong anywhere. Well, cut it out, right? Pick one. Flip a coin, you know? Become a member. Become part of it, you know? And there's, Shelly can talk to you all about membership and what that looks like. It's very simple. It's very basic. But it's just simply a, a commitment. It's a, it's, a, it's a united that this is what I'm part of. And, and then the other thing that would be is then to go into core and it could turn into leadership where you're going to take on more responsibility. You're going to go through our leadership processes which is a higher level of maturity. You got me? You say, well, who invited you into this process? And you can say, the pastor. (laughs) Who told you you could do this? Pastor Kevin. When did he tell you? On Sunday. So you don't need a personal invitation from me. I'm giving you one. I'm giving you one. You know, step forward. Move forward. See what God will do with you. You know, pray for this church. Pray for this ministry. This is not an easy place to serve. This is not an easy place to do to, to bring the gospel to. But God wants to do something here. Amen. He wants to do something significant and substantially in this city. This church has a spiritual dynamic to it that is essential. It's essential. Amen. It's true. It's true. And I think if we get it right, which I'm thinking we're going to eventually, if we get it right and we get our intercessory teams right and we get our ministry teams right and we get our school processes right and we get these things right, this church can affect change in scale. I believe so. Yes, because this church is designed, I believe that part of this church's role is that the whole idea is that God is looking for a quorum of believers who understand the things of the Spirit and will pray accordingly, affecting prayers. And that is really what I think the strategic design of this church is. There's a lot of big churches, and they, they make a lot of noise, but they're not effective. Making noise is not an effect. I have nothing against big churches. God bless them all. Make this church bigger. Give us more, Lord. I'm all in on it. But size does not equate effectiveness. And it's important to understand that. This little guy with a small little church in, in, in San Pedro affected more change in his community. That was the largest evangelical event that city ever had. Largest crusade they've ever had. There were in San Salvador, the other surrounding cities, but in San Pedro. He, did he know that? He had no idea. He had no idea. One pastor with a little congregation, it says, God is visiting us. The Lord is honoring us, and we need to do something. I'm not letting this pass me by. And the guy stepped up. One guy. They're bigger churches. The guy, the guy that runs the show there, Pastor Valencia, he has a church probably four times that guy's size, at least. You know, But that guy did it, and he didn't. Now, he supported it, but you know, he wasn't the first guy through the wall. He took the risk. And so that church affected change in that city. Yeah? You don't have to be huge to affect change. It's usually the big ones that say no. <laughs> They're usually like, no, 
no. And little guys are like, hey, we've been waiting for this, man. Let's go. So anyway, you don't have to be great or huge. Amen? So we're going to take communion. And then what you're going to do, we'll take communion together. So just come up here, and we're going to take communion, and I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to lay hands on you. Yeah, I'm going to lay hands on you. So what I want you to do is I want you to believe God for an impartation of something. It can be anything. Wisdom, healing, um, direction, I don't know. Um, Financial gain. It's okay to be financially gainful. Nothing wrong with that. So long as you're using your money for for kingdom purposes, there's no reason for that. There's no reason to not you know, believe God for that. So whatever it is you're believing for, change. You don't even know. But ask God to believe God for something. I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to release the anointing. And I believe that what I release to you is what you're asking him for. Do you understand me? Are we good? Okay. So show's going to play music. You guys are going to go up, grab the communion, and then somebody bring me one. And then everybody, if you'll just line up here, and I'm going to lay hands on you. You got music, Shell? Chalet? Do you have anointing oil, Shelly? Thank you. Oh, you're a fast runner, Shella. Shella. <laughs> for you too, I know, you know, so, yeah, you know, you, you know the drill, you've been here long enough. So, somebody tell me what they're believing God for. Anybody got faith to say it? Direction, that's great. It's fantastic. Anybody else? Nobody wants the chickens? What's that? To prosper your business. In the name of Jesus. Amen. For input. Financial freedom. Healing. Hallelujah. I got a word for you, Rudy. I feel like um, make a deal with the Lord. Jesus likes to make deals. I don't know if you know that. He likes to strike hands. He's like, I'll take that deal. If you, if you see how he related in the, in the Old Testament, particularly in Genesis, he was always making deals. Lord, if you give me this, I'll give you that. And he'll tell you to start where you're at. He'll give you something to start with. But if you tell him, if you increase me, I'll, I'll do this. He want, He's looking for people to construct deals with. He's looking for that. He, he, you know, God's eyes roam to and fro, searching for the one whose heart is fully his so that he can show himself strong. He has every intention of prospering your business. So like when you said prosper your business, I heard the word why. I heard why. That's the first word I heard. And so... Why? And it's like, Lord, I want to prosper my business to provide peace and safety for my household, but I want to become a generous giver. I want to be a generous giver to your kingdom. And he's going to, you know what? Yeah, right, right, right. But let's get this drill down. This is awesome. I love you guys. So like, but you need to say, and he's going to ask you, what does that look like? What does that look like? He's going to prosper you. 
right? He wants to prosper you. You're gonna, he's gonna ask you why. Why do you want that? Why? So, you know, it's okay. I wanna take care of my family. I wanna stop rubbing nickels. Anybody wanna stop rubbing nickels? I hate rubbing nickels, right? Right? I wanna stop worrying about if I can afford the pizza or not. You know what I mean? It's like, can I afford this? Can I add that pepperoni or do I not have the, you know? So, you know, it's okay to say that, but you have to tell him a reason. So this, this, this stuff works across the board. Like, you wanna get married? Why? I don't want to be alone. Okay. He's gonna, you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna go, you have me. I want you to prosper in my business. He's gonna go, you have my provision. Why should I give you more? And you have to tell him. It's not because he's denying you. He's not denying you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, right? No good thing will he withhold from those who walk right before him. So he's telling us, no good thing will he withhold. The question is why? Wanna be married? Why? Because I want to be alone. That's not a good answer. I want to get married, Lord, because I have love in my heart that I want to give to another. And I believe that the person that you give me, that together we can become an apostolic team and work together for the purposes that you set before us. Oh, now you got his attention. Now you have his attention. Then there's other things that go along with that, but I'm just trying to get you to understand how this aligns. You want him to prosper you. I believe in every sense of the word he wants to prosper you. But you need to know why. And if you don't know why, you know what you ask him? I don't know why, Lord. Why do I want this? If you don't know why, it's okay. The Lord will tell you why. He knows your heart more than you do. Why, why do I want you to prosper me, Lord? All I can see is putting groceries in the fridge. Is there a bigger reason why I want this prosperity? And he's going to say, your heart has always been to do these things. This is what you need to believe me for. There's, you, you, get, you get how this works? I got one. So you get how this works? Yeah. All right. So let's, I want you to hold it up. Say, this represents... The body of Jesus, which was given to me. This is no small thing. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. Take the cup. See, this represents the blood of Jesus that was given for me. I am no longer born of the earth, I'm part of a body a spiritual body of believers. Jesus is the head. The blood within me is not the blood of the earth. The blood that is within me is the blood of a king. The blood that is in me is the blood of a lion. And this represents that blood, the saving blood of Jesus himself. You believe it? I believe it. And I, I believe it. And I receive it. All right, I'm gonna go down the line. I'm gonna pray for you, lady, lady, ladies. I'm gonna try to roar. I'm gonna try to not. I'm gonna try to not touch your forehead. My wife's like, don't touch their foreheads. We get pimples. And I'm like, well, 